Coomer, founded in 2007, Homage turns back the clock with shout-outs to eclectic moments and personalities in sports, music, and popular culture. From Billie Jean King to Larry Bird, Homage tells the story of triumph, individualism, and hustle, preserving the old school and creating new legacies. Pay homage at homage.com. Coomer, when I'm shopping on homage.com, the first collection I like to go to is the City Pride Collection. It includes classic Cincinnati throwback designs, the 93 Reds logo hoodie, the 97 Cincinnati Bengals starter jacket. Get yours today and then go check out the go-tos. Super soft, cozy essentials, perfectly understated and expertly crafted. They are shirts and hoodies made to fit you. I'm a big guy. These shirts are comfy. I love purchasing these. And if you have a baby, they have baby onesies. Make sure you pick up your baby onesies featuring your favorite Cincy sports team. To do that, shop Homage online at www.homage.com and in six stores across Ohio, including their Over the Rhine, Vine Street location right here in Cincinnati. Homage has created an exclusive offer to kick off 2021 for Cincy Slang and listeners. Beginning January 4th, get 21% off the entire site when you enter code SLANGIN at checkout. Go to www.homage.com. That's H-O-M-A-G-E.com. And don't forget to enter the code SLANGIN, S-L-A-N-G-I-N at checkout for 21% off your entire order and pay homage. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Well, we got we got Mr. UCLA on the day, so it's I guess it's a great day to be a, a Bearcat basketball fan. <laughs> I think it's a great day, but Corey Sims is in the building. Corey, is it a, is it not a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan? What's going it's- on here, buddy? It's always a good day to be a Bearcat fan. Um, I think it's an even better day to be a UCLA Bruins fan today. <laughs> so what are your ties? What are your ties to the University of uh, California, California, Los Angeles? I mean, guys, let's be honest. It, they're, they've been, since the middle of last year, in my opinion, they've been more entertaining to watch than the Bearcats have. So, um and, and what's ironic, I don't know if they're more entertaining just because of how ridiculous Bill Walton is on every broadcast or um, or the fact that they were just excited to see what Mick did in the middle of last year. They made that great run. It looked like they had a chance to win the conference tournament. Um, I know the Bearcats did as well once once Brandon got his head out of his rear end and started playing Cumberland uh, back at the point last year. But um it's just nice. Now you got these 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock Pac-12 games that I didn't used to pay much attention to that now I'm a little more vested. I didn't even think you stayed up that late. I thought you had an early bedtime in bed well well before tip-off for, for Mick, Cronin, Mick Cronin and the Bruins, man. This is, this is shocking, shocking news. <laughs> Part of this is, uh, is despite my buddy TJ Wolf that's out on Cronin's staff, um, 
because I've been he's been telling me he's going to send me some gear for like two years since I got out there and I'm still waiting. So uh, <laughs> so Fanatics was running one of their specials at Christmas. I was like, I guess I'm just going to have to break down and buy this UCLA sweatshirt since I can't get any gear from my man Munchy Wolf out there. And uh, um, it's so funny to be on the other side, right? Like I used to hold the keys to the kingdom. Everybody would hit me up, ask for gear, treat me like I'm their best friend. (laughs) I never did that. I don't think I ever asked you for gear and I should have. I think you probably got some gear. Didn't you get some gear? Uh, I don't think so. And I regret not asking you directly and and, uh, rudely. Um, I'm going to have to... I still have a half a closet here that my wife keeps making me get rid of stuff. So uh, some gear needs to come here in Hummer's way. Well, look, I'm not going to give you too much grief. I'm just going to let you know that you look ridiculous in those colors. They don't suit you <laughs> at all. Black and red is what you belong in, and I'd never want to see you wear this stuff again. Moving on. I think you need, to, reintro- I think you need to reintroduce who he is because uh, <laughs> as of right now, everybody thinks that we have a UCLA fan on. <laughs> So, yeah, for those who have not listened to the previous Corey Stories bits we do, we're doing our segment, Corey Stories. Corey was the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball manager uh, from 2006 to 2011. Shout out to the UC co-op programs, keeping you there for five years. Uh, Mr. Van Wilder himself. Uh, but, yeah. He you always on- have to tell people that, right? You always <laughs> have to tell people. I, it was a five-year program because of co-op, you know. <laughs> I didn't take a victory lab. It was a, it's a five year. It's supposed to be five years. Five years, air quotes. Um, we always have, we have you on. A, from lot, time a, lot, to time. a lot of people take nine years to become doctors. Yes. <laughs> we have we have Corey on from time to time to reminisce about the glory days of UC basketball. Um, we all know how great the team was during the Cronin's first five years. Um, regardless of, of their number of victories during that time. There's obviously plenty of good stories to tell. Last time we had you on, you told you told some just absolutely hysterical stories about Dave Andrews, uh, his his ability to get the guys going in terms of uh, toughness and just being an absolute animal. So I'd, I'd recommend anybody who hasn't listened that go back, listen to the last Corey stories, uh, and just learn about the maniac that is Dave Andrews. Dave, man, and there's there's many more uh, stories to be shared there. He just he's an awesome guy, um, and we talked about that too, right? Like the impact of a of a strength coach and what that can do on a program. And we'll see if um, our program how it responds here with the the change that happened this past off season. Yeah, I mean, so it's hard to, I don't know how to really measure and gauge the effect of a strength coach, right? We know that Ray Felt was great at his job. I think there is no disputing that um, when you look at the results of, you know, body transformations, the athletes, the conditioning, the ability to play heavy minutes and still be effective at the end of games. Um, I think all of that came into play. I mean, look at Trey Scott's senior year. Um, Brandon, to this day, raves about Trey's conditioning, his ability to go nonstop all game, never got tired. And, you know, I think you have to attribute that obviously to Trey Scott and his work ethic, but Ray felt and his conditioning programs and his, his ability to guide and support these players. Are you, you know, let's, let's not beat around the bush. Are you sensing something this season with the transition between strength coaches? Uh, who's the, it's, I think Tyler Stewart now. Are you sensing that it's not up to snuff? Like, what are you, what are you saying here, buddy? 
I think, I mean, we talked about this the last time. I don't know if it was on the podcast or after air when we normally have our best conversations when we're not even recording. But, <laughs> but uh, slanging after um, dark. <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know, early in the season, man, they definitely looked out of shape. And, and I know part of that is off season conditioning. And, and there's a difference between running, you know, on a treadmill and, and being in basketball shape, right? So, um, I, they've looked a little bit better as of late, which you'd expect as the season progresses. And we'll, we'll hit the turning point now where in a normal season, at least, you know, guys need to start saving their legs a little bit. And, uh, that was actually, um, something I felt Cronin learned again. We talked about this last time he was 34 years old coming into the program. Um, wasn't used to the type of level that was big East basketball. Right. And, it was interesting to see over the five years how his practices changed later in the season. Um, you know, those first few years, it felt like, I mean, that DePaul loss, what was that, the the third year he was there when we lost. I think DePaul hadn't won a Big East game all year, and we lost him in the first round of the Big East tournament. And our guys just looked tired, man. They were just beat, um, had no legs. So, uh that was a, an interesting evolving process as we're kind of talking about conditioning. Yeah. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make any sweeping indictments this season based on the fact of uh, the weird schedules of COVID the late right. start. I don't know. You know, you just, I don't think it's a, it's hard to assess. I think there are fair criticisms to be made of, of the coaching staff decisions made in terms of lineups, in terms of strategy. And I think we've been plenty uh, generous with those, uh, that feedback this season, you know, I, we didn't mention it. Did we, I don't think we mentioned it, Hummer. Like tonight there, there are rumors. And I just want, we'll quickly get this off our chest. There's rumors of, of fickle being a quote, hot name in NFL circles, uh, specifically indicating that he might be a good fit with the Philadelphia Eagles. What are your guys first reactions to that? My gut reaction that is if his agent is in fact reaching out and entertaining these offers, we should be scared as Bearcat fans because it shows that Fickle is thinking, you know, beyond Cincinnati. He's thinking, what am I doing next? It's it's not this is my forever home. You know, that's that's to me is what what the, the scary part about it is. But you don't blame him. It's the NFL. You can go to the NFL and be a failed coach and come back and get the head coaching job of Alabama. <laughs> True. No, if he's really getting an offer, I mean. You jump at the chance to coach in the NFL, I'd imagine. But Corey, I texted you that that link earlier tonight, and I think your response—I should read it verbatim. Um, <laughs> do you, uh, unless you mind, I don't think it's too controversial. Uh, no. Your response no, was, "Ha, ha, man! I would bet a large sum that is not even close to happening." So you don't seem worried at all about Fickle going to the NFL. No, I think if anything, this is a. <laughs> an example of how lost Howie Roseman might be. If there's any truth to this, like the general manager for the Eagles um, and Jeffrey Lowry, I think they have just completely lost all sense of reality up there in Philadelphia. And and I can say that a little bit because um, my buddy, Jason Kelsey, who is the, the center for the Eagles um, that we met at UC. Hang on, we, hang on. Let me, let me pick up that name real quick. Hang on. <laughs> We, we, uh, we stay in touch and, um, 
I just, uh, I was very surprised to see that, you know, Doug Peterson got let go and I was not surprised to see him get let go. I, I was, I was surprised based on the owner and that general manager. And I, and a couple games ago when the Eagles were on national television, I think they said that the Eagles have not drafted a pro bowler and since 2013, other than Carson Wentz, you know, he has one pro bowl. So that's on Howie Roseman, right? Like your general manager, they have drafted terribly. And to me, and I think Howie and the owner, Jeffrey Lowry, are, are pretty tight. And I, I think, you know, Howie's looking for any reason to have a scapegoat. Um, that's why I felt like Doug Peterson got fired. Well, I mean, I think with the Eagles, too, not to, to get too in-depth on the Eagles here, but they, I think, kind of abandoned the draft in a sense and started going mainly free agent or bust. I mean, they were they were really trying to acquire big-name free agents. They were trying to spend their way into another Super Bowl. Uh, and I think, that, frankly, they did get lucky the year that they won. You know, you don't really strike me. I don't care what people say. Uh, we they won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. It's that, pretty obvious. That's yeah. what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> that like, was special. And Nick Foles, like, obviously he wasn't a quarterback who, he's not really that good. Well, but their roster was loaded. Like, the, the roster top top to bottom was loaded that season. Um, anyway, you know, tuning in to Cincy Slangin' for your Philadelphia Eagles talk. I didn't realize Corey was so in. <laughs> you're tied in. Deep, well, deep in the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. <laughs> well, part of that, like, real quick, before we jump ship, all right, that year the Eagles, their offensive line, I think, started every game together, all five of them. They had the best offensive line in football. Um, Jason's joke that they could have put me back there and I probably could have thrown a few touchdowns, right? So, And then their defensive line, they had some young talent. They had some guys on some rookie contracts still. Um, so they were able to rotate seven or eight guys in on the defensive line and stay fresh. So I, I think there's – Something to be said. If I'm an NFL owner, I don't understand why you're not pouring 60 or 70 percent of your salary cap into offense and defensive line. And, you know, you get a solid quarterback. I mean, you saw what the offensive line for the Eagles that year did. And then after Carson Wentz got hurt and Nick Foles comes in, they simplified the playbook um, for Foles, which is, I think, part of the reason why why the Eagles struggled this year is they, they just made things way too damn difficult. And then Jalen Hurts comes in and they simplify the playbook again and he has a little bit of success. And it's it's a microcosm of what happens in coaching, right? These guys outsmart themselves. They get too deep into the weeds and they outthink themselves. And sometimes you gotta go back to the, you know, the KISS method and simplify things. <laughs> Let, let's 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 put you in charge of the Bengals. All right. Let's get to no, 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 no. I want to line. <laughs> I wanted to ask Corey in terms of coaches over, it's a great transition, coaches overthinking things, doing too much, maybe just outsmarting themselves. Do you, do you think that's happening at all with the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team? Well, something's <laughs> happening, that's for sure. So um, I, I think that could be it, right? I think from what I've heard, Brandon is so cerebral that sometimes he can't get out of his own way. Um, and whether that's, he has a hard time connecting with the players or, um, or, or just coaching and teaching. To be honest, Mick could be like that at times too. And, and he would acknowledge like the thing that was amazing about Mick, like when we were in practice is he could always see 
five to seven steps ahead, right? So all of a sudden, if we're putting in an offense, like, like the one year we tried to shift offenses, I think this might have been, um, I think this might have been Cash's sophomore year, and we tried to to put. Um, it's kind of a hybrid between like Duke and and Mike Bray's offense at Notre Dame. A lot of it just like um, guards coming off down screens and then and then reading how the defense would react and then they would have three options, right? So we try and instill this offense in the first two or three weeks of the the preseason, and it became very obvious very quick, like we were giving too much credit to the players, to be honest, for them to have the basketball IQ IQ to make the reads that we needed to be successful in that offense. Um, and so we had to end up going back to, to some of the more traditional Mick Cronin play calling that everybody loved. You know, everybody loved his stand, offensive play stand, calling. Stand right at the top, dribble the ball, wait for the shot clock to, to dial down, just jack up a shot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, shake, shake five. I could, I could say that in my sleep. And actually, you'll see... I mean, that's what every team does, right? Um, Ten seconds on the shot clock, point guard backs it out, big man comes up with a back screen, create a little two-man game, and and try and get a drive to the basket. That's and our our play call was shake five. So um, every time you would see that, you're like, well, here it comes, right? So, so you're uh, yeah. It sounds like you're. I mean, it's, it's good to, uh, you're kind of relating what's, what Brandon's going through. Cause I do want my coach to have convictions. I think it's good for them to have convictions and, and things that they believe in and, and styles that they believe in. Uh, but at the same time, there needs to be sort of a, an embracing of what your roster is currently made of. And then sure. just who's being productive in the games. And, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest, the drum that we keep beating on this podcast is, is just the, the rotation and, and how he's using Chris Vode and, the number of minutes, and obviously a lot changed the past two games. He's seen his minutes cut to under 10 minutes a game the last couple of games. And I think we've seen a more lively, energetic, and largely productive team. Maybe a team with more upside. Now, you could argue that Wichita State, that second half, was an abject disaster. And I can't argue with that because, frankly, the team is plagued again and again and again by turnovers and fouls. Like, it's I, for every loss this season, you could pretty much attribute it to the same thing. Maybe, you know, uh, outside of that UCF game when they just couldn't make a shot. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And um, as I've been reflecting on your your crusade against Chris Vogt, um, <laughs> uh, too harsh. Have you seen the Have you seen the Chris Vogt socks? I have not. They turned. They, they, I wore the uh, Cam Cam Pap, a friend of the podcast. You know him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were in like a, a secret Smurf, secret Santa type thing. And the gift he got me was a pair of custom made red and black Chris Vote socks with his face plastered all over the socks. And the first time I wore them uh, was our victory over SMU and it breaking the five game win streak. And I will admit I did not wear them in the, against Wichita State, which is a failure on my part. Laundry rotation got out of whack. I probably shouldn't have even washed them. It's my fault. Um, I'll, I'll do better next time. I, obviously, we'll, our game got canceled tomorrow against ECU, but but next game, whenever that happens, Chris Vote socks back on. I mean, all Bearcat fans should be blaming you for that uh, Wichita State meltdown. Uh, now, as I've been reflecting on this, I started to think because, it, and I appreciated your question 
or or not your question, but someone from Clifton that sounded a lot like you on the on the Brandon. I, yeah, I did uh, not hide show. my identity. I said Coomer from Clifton. I figured it was appropriate. <laughs> um, I appreciated your question. Uh, it was definitely a lot of coach talk, right? That's what the response was. Um, was a lot of coach talk, but I will say that as I started thinking about like Brandon and where he's at, where the program's at, and tried to draw some parallels or similarities with with like what Mick was going through. And here's the thing that I don't think Mick necessarily got enough credit for was, right. He came in, we knew not a lot of people, I think recognized the academic issues where the program was right. I mean, we were like three points away from losing a scholarship and um, like academic points away on a scale of a thousand. So, I mean, it was a very slim margin we had to make sure guys were going to class. We had to get some guys in there that we, we knew were going to be able to graduate. Um, he, Mick was promised an academic advisor dedicated to you, dedicated to the basketball team to help dig them out of this hole that, that hugs and AK left us in that never got fulfilled. We never had that full-time academic advisor. Um, Is that where you practice- stepped in? You step in and, and fill that role? <laughs> they they wanted uh, me to be no part of the tutoring of the basketball players, <laughs> um, but and then and then like our practice gym, right? So I don't know how many people might remember this or knew about this, but our practice gym. Have you been in our practice gym? Uh, no, Corey. I, I don't. I don't have the same access that you do. <laughs> our just an outsider. Gym. I'm just a guy with a podcast, right? <laughs> The practice gym is actually under. They don't. They don't let us in. Oh, I have. I actually. There was some sort of function there one time during college that I did go down there. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt like it had cobwebs in it when I went down there. I think it's been improved since. <laughs> it was. Uh, I mean, the practice gym is under that Shakely lawn area. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and it was brand new when I got there. Uh, that the Linder Center was open like that that summer the academics and athletics building there and the practice gym was brand new and they promised Mick, you know, some, some banners and some things to spice it up. Right. So that way when recruits are coming in, it doesn't look like just a big white gymnasium. Uh, we didn't even have sound boards the first year. So it, if guys were dribbling a basketball, I mean, it was impossible to hear. Right. So like there's just so many little intricacies that we had to, to overcome to get the, the program rebuilt. And I thought like tonight to kind of tease some of those, like part of what I don't think people, if I start from the beginning, right. Like if we look at the parallels of how Cronin came into the program and then we look at like Brandon and where he's at in the program, hugs gets fired at a terrible time of the year. Right. So all of a sudden they, they don't really have any choice, but AK is going to take over as interim coach. Well, remind me, when, when was it? When was the firing? Um, I think it was in April. Right. So That's I think it, right. um, it might have been in May. Let me let me see if I can figure this well, out. You, you keep going. Now, we'll look it up to confirm you, it. But are yeah. you privy to any of the rumors as to why? <laughs> why Hugs was fired? Like, are, Do you have that like definitive answer? Was there? Objection, leading the witness. <laughs> uh, uh, it was August, August 23rd when Huggins got canned or, or agreed to step down. Right? Wow, that is incredibly late. Yeah, that is – imagine that. So there was, there was no um, – April is when Mick Cronin abandoned the University of Cincinnati, I think. Or maybe that was late March. I can't remember. 
Is that when that, you that's objection when you leading that's the, when, <laughs> leading the witness? <laughs> so Cronin, yes, it was in April, right? And and where the parallels are with this is like I would argue both of these were the University of Cincinnati's fault. Okay, they they these were self inflicted wounds, in my opinion. Um, you know the Huggins incident. Okay. If he had to go and the timing of the DUI and everything else, uh, they had no control over that, right? But then you bring Andy Kennedy in, and he's the interim head coach, and there were all these rumors around, like, AK had no chance of getting the job, that Nancy Zimfer wanted a clean house. She didn't want any ties to Huggins, right? So then what you had is basically everybody that Huggins recruited wasn't coming. Andy Kennedy didn't recruit for a year. Right. So now all of a sudden we have a program that nobody's been recruited for two years. You had Devin Downey leave immediately and go to USC. Um, and so coming uh, in, that, that, by the way, that's one of my biggest regrets as a Bearcat fan is that we did not get four years of Devin Downey. Oh, Where, for like, sure. Honestly, just oh, I loved him as a player his freshman season. It was tremendous. Right. And, and it finally was. The frustrating part is this is just Cincinnati sports in general. We get so close to the promised land and it gets ripped away from us for some reason. We're still, I, I think it's the curse of Pete Rose. I think we just need to sacrifice him in the Ohio river, like get, get rid of, we've, we have not been able to get well, past the, this. The curse said this, the curse, and, but we've but had the, success since, since he, the curse know, of Pete Rose. Know. You're right. The Cincinnati Cyclones it's, it's have the won the Kelly Cup. I forget. It's the curse of Bo Jackson. Yes, that's, I, I that's, subscribe to the curse of Bo Jackson. Uh, yeah, I, I did throw that the the one with the uh, with Pete Rose because look, Pete Rose played for the Phillies. Phillies also won, you know, won a couple couple World Series. You know, but Bo Jackson, man, he needs to. We need to apologize to him as a city. <laughs> I I'm not a, opposed to that either. I just it, it's like there's too many things that have lined up that what Rose got banned in 89 and they give us this glimmer of hope and the Reds win in 90. And then all of a sudden, ever since then, it's just heartache after heartache for Cincinnati sports fans, other than, other than our Cyclones wanting the Kelly Cup. When I first moved to Philadelphia, I'm sitting at a bar watching, watching the opening day. Um, the Reds were playing the Phillies, uh, coincidentally enough, uh, opening day in Cincinnati, sitting in a bar, and the guy next to me goes, oh, Philadelphia, we're the most miserable sports town in America. And I just looked at him and gave him like this like 10-minute spiel on why he needs to go you know, stuff a fat one. Um, just because I was like, and I started going through, I'm like, you know, the Reds, the Reds losing a one-game playoff. Losing a one-game playoff again. The Bengals, Carson, Carson Palmer breaking his knee. Kenyon Martin breaking his leg. Do I need to keep going five straight playoffs in a row? We haven't won a damn game. Yeah. I mean, or how about like even back to like, what was it, 94? And the Reds had the best, the strike year in baseball. And I think they had the best record of any team in the, in the league. But then either like didn't make the playoffs or there was something funky with the playoffs. They had a playing game, didn't out. they? Yeah, maybe and they went up against and, and, they went up against Al Lighter. That's the I I might be mis I might be mistaken. I think that might be later. The, that year I think was the 90, 99 team. I think, I think that, was. that was oh that was later. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Danny later. Graves and we okay. lost three straight games. We had we were leading the division. We lost three straight games to go into a tie and had a one game playoff with the Mets. 
which we yep. lost. Yeah, an outlier, like, you know, basically threw the best game of his life. All of a sudden turned into Nolan Ryan and, and the rest is history. So, uh, man, gosh, we, where, we digress here. So, yeah, where were you? Where were you going with this? OK, so like some self-inflicted wounds here, um, the program, some of the things that we had to overcome. So then Mick comes in. Right. He has to build a program in 20 days. He puts together a staff and in what, like 11 basketball players. Um because of the timing of everything. So then on top of that, we had like, we, I come up for, for camp and this was, this was probably like late June of, of 2006. So mix out of the job for two and a half months. And, you know, we still had like VHSs is what we were using to record games and watch games at that point. You're, we, you're like, you're we, like increasing the legacy of like hugs now. <laughs> Like all he did with like a cobweb filled basket practice arena. <laughs> we we didn't have DVD. We didn't have a DVD player. Um, it, the practices to start that year, I was carrying down like a 19 inch tube TV and a VCR player and an old camera to hook it up with some RCA cables to record practices for for coach to be able to go home and watch and i mean it's, it was just unbelievable right and i'm like god this is this is 2006 and this is one of the top 10 prestigious programs in college basketball history and we don't have a dvd player um bob was going so, digital come on bob was going digital it's way ahead of everybody else <laughs> so we'll we'll get well tapes, part of that where we're going you don't need tapes <laughs> part of it too was like we didn't even have gear so that uh that year we signed with adidas right and i mean when ak and his staff left they you know i think they raided the the equipment room right they there was like one pair of basketball shorts left and so um we signed this deal with adidas i'm not lying guys that first that first year we were like rationing socks because we just didn't even have enough gear and it would take, it would take Adidas. Like typically you would order like if, if the season you get your new gear, maybe in July, you were ordering like the previous September for the following year. Uh, because then it would take like six months. They would get everything ordered. It would ship over to China, get everything printed, screen printed, everything on it, get shipped back. Uh, it was not just like, you know, oh, we're ordering this, and Amazon Prime's going to have our gear here and some socks in a couple of days. Um, so there, there, and there's a lot of stories here, just like the little things that the program had to overcome that was outside of the public eye. You know, they just saw a team that was kind of a ragtag a team that had to be put together, but those guys played insanely hard. Um, and so I think about like where Brandon is now, right, in this program, and it. I will take this to my grave. I, this was a self-inflicted wound by Mike Bone, and and he played hardball with Cronin. I don't think Cronin had any desire to leave here, and um, and Bone played hardball with him, and he 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 got caught bluffing. He had nobody that he had in his back pocket that he was going to hire. And Coomer, we were talking about this. If John Brandon is the head coach at Anywhere else besides MKU, is he now the head basketball coach of the University of Cincinnati? 
Yeah, you asked that question. I thought it was a, a, a great question, right? I mean, it's a, it's a hilarious thought exercise. But let me back up a little bit before I get into that specifically, because I'm not ready to go there. I will say this, though. Not Mike Bone played hardball, but a lot of things had to actually happen for Mick to get offered that UCLA job. Oh, like, for sure. Thinking back on it, didn't Rick Barnes or UCLA didn't want to pay the buyout at Tennessee? So Rick Barnes passes on the job. I think there was another coach in line that I'm forgetting right now. And then it trickled down and Mick Cronin kind of got the leftovers at that point. You know, I think a lot of a lot of things had to happen right. Um I think you're right. I think there's probably an element of, of truth to what you're saying, though. Like it didn't seem like Bone was overly eager to retain McCronin's services. And and to be and to be fair to Bone, I think there was a huge fraction of the fan base that was quite comfortable seeing him walk away. More importantly, a large faction of the donor fan base. That's probably probably more in, into Bone's ear yeah. than what you and I are saying on a podcast. I wasn't losing sleep. <laughs> I'm still not losing sleep. I don't. I'm, I'm not missing. I'm not. I'm not yearning. And I would say that I think a lot of that uh, hearsay about potential donors, the biggest donors that I know, at least the biggest donors that were part of the program at, when I was there, um, were very upset that Mick was, you know, kind of shutting the door. And, and I would challenge, and I kept saying this, and, and I still believe and hope, like I'm a Bearcat fan until I die. I hope, and I said this when, when this all went down, I hope it works out for both programs. I hope Mick goes and has success, and I hope UC and Brandon have success. Or if it's not Brandon, obviously whoever we bring in next, I hope there's, that we succeed, right? I, I don't want to be stuck with a a decade like we had in the eighties as, as a program, just to say, see, I told you guys. So that's not what I'm hoping for for here, but there's so many examples. Okay. Let's go ask Tennessee fan, Tennessee football fans, how they feel about Phil Fulmer being fired. And the year that he got fired, he was in the sec championship game. They haven't been relevant since, right? Let's go ask Michigan fans. They, they were upset with Lloyd Carr, and their program's been in shambles since, right? We talked about the Billy Clyde Gillespie. Tubby Smith wins the SEC, and, you know, it basically gets shown the door. They bring in Billy Clyde. He's got three years of just running that program to the ground. Calipari comes in. He has some early success. He hasn't won a national championship since 2012. Um, so, and, like, this stat the other day that they were showing – there's only six active college football coaches that have won a national championship. That's insane. That yeah. is insane. Right. And I, I meant to look this up before I came on, but. Um, well, you look it up. I, I want to, I want to chime in here and, and sure. kind of take, take the side of, of defending Brandon. Cause right now, what's the record of the team? We're three and seven, three, we're three and seven, right? 10 games into the his second season. And, you did a good job laying out the challenges Mick Cronin was dealing with walking in the door academically. Uh, you're rationing socks. You don't have any gear. You're sponsored by Adidas. Like there's a lot of things working against you uh, as Mick Cronin is, is coming aboard the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. John Brandon, here's what he's dealing with. A freaking global pandemic. Like we do have to factor in the, 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 cold, re the cold hard truth that his first season with the Bearcats was ended prematurely because college basketball 
was shut down. So whether we were going to go on a run in the conference tournament, whether we were going to end up making the NCAA tournament, all of that, we can't really say. I mean, we can all predict and, 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 and tell everyone what we think would happen. doesn't really matter. It got shut down early. Now this season, you're in, you're in a situation where practices are disrupted. You've got players who don't necessarily want to play. You've got players who are responding poorly to not having a home crowd. I think we can all agree, you know, the last in-person sporting event I attended was with Hummer, with our dads, Temple. Like we went to the senior night Temple game. And wondering if we were going to catch COVID. <laughs> wondering if we were going to, you know, if I was, should I really be reaching in this popcorn bowl? I'm not sure. This doesn't seem like what I'm supposed to be doing right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, but, and you, and you know that we've lost that home court advantage. Like those things all play into this. And so I'm not ready to go full, you know, whether it's John Brandon or the next coach, like, we're not there, man. We're not there. I don't want to say we're there, but I, 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 I don't want to give Brandon that big of a pass because every single coach who is playing basketball this season is going through these same challenges. This is an environment. And at this point, he has 30-something games under his belt. So I, we said this, I said this last podcast, I'm sick and tired of hearing this installing the offense type of like rationale. Like, get over it. You've had every year. This is college basketball. You're going to have a new crop of players every single year who have to learn this offense. And at the point, I think the mistakes we're seeing with him – Aren't aren't even really offense related in that sense. It's 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 mental toughness. It's a culture. It's like a culture's not there. These players are watching watching guys drive to the hoop and just watching them make lay, watching the opponents make layups. They're not boxing out. They're not rebounding. They're not fighting over loose balls. They're making these ticky tacky reach around fouls. They're turning the ball over constantly, <laughs> like. It's it's a lot of stuff that's like I feel like it's just it's it's a culture element that just seems to be missing. I, I can think of one game this season that was deplorable from a effort standpoint and like a, a quote unquote mental toughness standpoint. That was Georgia. Every game, maybe, every game we've had to, no, we've had to let the team back, go. They fought had, back from multiple second half half deficits. That's so the I'm not point. Ready we've, to let, say, we've let them go. We've, they've come in where they go in these lapses where all of a sudden they go down 10 points and they go back down 12 points in the same game. Yeah. So like, don't attribute it to players lapses. effort level. I attribute it more. I think there's way more strategic errors happening this season. I think it's mental. I, actually think, la- that, I think it's culture. See, th- this is drama. This is what we need. This is why we needed to go live because now all of a sudden, can't backtrack. Coomer's over here defending John Brandon, and off air, he's the one. Hang on a know. second. <laughs> I I went through. I will tell you this now. On the five game losing streak, I lost my mind. Like I was calling my dad. I called Hummer. I called Corey. I called everybody that would listen because I needed to vent about what the hell we were watching on the basketball court. You know what happened after that? The thing, he changed the lineup in the way that I wanted to see him change it, right? He finally did the thing that needed to be done. He buried Chris Vogt on the bench for most of the game, and he did that for the last two games. Now, But you I, called in and asked him about it, and he flat out said that he's going to go back to Chris Vogt, that Chris Vogt is a upperclassman who isn't going to make the same mistakes as a freshman, yet the minute Chris Vogt gets in, he makes the exact mistake a freshman would make. <laughs> and so this is where I'm trying to come full circle here. This is why they call me Story Corey, right? Um, Do it. Take a full circle. So the full circle here is with the Chris Faux crusade that is. Well, real quick, you know, I did not realize the the five games, five out of six, our first six losses, we were down by three or less in the last hundred seconds of the game. Mm-hmm. That's, that is um, 
that was a, a stat when they showed that on the screen that I was like, there's no way because it just didn't feel that way. Right. Because Say that, the, again. Say that stat again. We need everybody <laughs> to hear that stat again. Say that stat again, Mr. Five, Mr. Maybe it's the next coach. Say that stat again. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not ready to throw in the talent, John Brandon. I'm just bringing up observations about the program because like, if we go to, to the vote conversation here, what, what I took away a little bit as I reflected by what he said back to you was maybe there are things that happen behind scenes that, that we don't know about Chris Vogt and, and how he leads a team and, and the culture he's trying to build because that was part of the struggle and the rebuild that we had under Cronin. And I don't think people realize it's like, all right, you had, you had two years of guys that were transfer players, right? And they were great guys and, you know, they, they worked hard, but probably not necessarily the guys you would handpick to build a culture around for a program, right? We had to take what we could get. So then all of a sudden you get a Kashmir right coming in, you get a Yancey Gates. They're not necessarily being led by example by the upperclassmen, right? So then it takes time, maybe a little bit longer time for them to, to mature. And it's just such a long cycle to build that culture, to have the upperclassmen, being the ones that might be getting into the, the the freshman or the sophomore's ear versus it always having to come from a coach, right? So that's the thing that I worry a little bit with a, the turnover that we've had in the John Brandon era so far. And with him, from what I can tell, not having any recruits coming in next year that we're going to have to go this transfer route, it's very hard to build a culture with with transfers and a lot of uh, a lot of turnover and i think you've seen that even at uk right like look how terrible they were at the beginning of the year now they have phenomenal athletes so they're starting to come together and play better basketball but you have to wonder like again he hasn't won a national championship since 2012 it's not because he hasn't had phenomenal talent he was, but is he, was, there a- he was the runner-up in 2013. He went to the Final Four in 2015. He was the round of 32 in 16, the Elite Eight in 2017, Sweet 16 in 18, Elite Eight again in 19. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say John Calipari has not been successful since his national championship. That's, I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying that either. But I had that know, pulled up. I was like waiting for you to bring up John Calipari again. How did you know I'm he was bringing up John Calipari? <laughs> anyway, keep going, Corey. I'm just I just think it's hard when you don't have a culture of like that upperclassman leading the lowerclassmen and especially at, Kentucky, at UC, right? Kentucky can do what they've done with the the one and dons and the transfers because it's Kentucky. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um so well look, I'm he's not he's not he's not blessed with a natural alpha on this team. And you just said how how many years it took for Cronin to get up to speed with really having and feeling like he had his own culture on the team. I mean, how many years do you think it actually took before you could say, no, this is exactly what Cronin's trying to build here? Like what year do you think that happened? Uh low end year six, maybe year eight, to be honest. I'd have to go back and look at some right. some rosters. And look what's um, happening in Texas right now. Texas was Shaka Smart. Like that was a guy I thought was going to get fired just in time to replace Mick Cronin. Like I his job was in trouble at, at certain points during his tenure with Texas. And now you see it sure. all coming together. So after that five-game losing streak, if I'm going to defend myself a little bit here, you have the meltdown. You've lost five games in a row for the first time in your life. You know, I can't remember. I've never seen this as a Bearcat fan. I'm not used to it. Maybe 
maybe that first year in McCronin, right? Like I, I did see experience some losses then, but I was drinking my sorrows away in college. You, get, you tolerate it easier. Now I've got a family and I've got kids to raise and it's just harder to bear. Um, with all that said, you step back from it and you realize, okay, you do have to give him a fair amount of time. And it would be nice to see him coaching at a time when we weren't dealing with the pandemic and you didn't have fans in the stands and he could go out and, and go recruit players because we, I, I think not having recruits next season is a fair criticism, but just coming into this season, this last recruiting class, I was very pleased with. I love the Tari Eason get like that is easily the most, that's probably the most exciting player we've recruited to Cincinnati since Lance Yancey. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. He's, like, more, he's more exciting coming in than Gary Clark was, even though you know, I'm not saying he's going to have Gary Clark's career, but like in terms of hype, in terms of ability, in terms of what he's bringing to the table. Um, obviously, the Madsons haven't gotten off the ground. Uh, Gabe opted out based on COVID. Mason, we're seeing some flashes. Guy can play. I think he can hoop. Uh, who, who else am I missing? Victor Locken, TBD, big TBD. Um, but then he's also brought in Jeremiah Davenport, who's grown grown and, and developed pretty well this year. We're starting sure. to finally see Zach Harvey play like a top 50 type recruit. Um, my point is, yes, he doesn't have any recruits. He's also been in- extremely transparent, saying I'm not going to offer anyone we haven't seen play in person. My only pushback to that would be like, eh, you might have to. Like, you just might have to with the current environment. You might have to take a risk or two. I, I get I get that he doesn't want to. But given where college basketball is, the transfer portal, how easy and how, how the player movement we're seeing is unprecedented, it's okay to, to miss because you're probably going to make up for it somewhere down the line with someone opting out and, and scholarship spots opening up. Sure. So I don't even know where I, I forget where I was going with that. Uh, but you were, just, you were just defending your, your, yourself with, with your rationalizing why it is important to take a step back and, and give him time to yeah. actually develop the program. That's it. Yeah. That, that it does take some time to implement the culture and that it's, we don't need to all jump off a bridge because of a, of a rough second season. I will you know, jump off a, a bridge I, if I want to. I, I but I, I do think again, you can, you can be concerned though. Like I thought the rotations he was playing, the lineup he walked into the season with, you know, those things are red flags because he should see them coming from a mile away. You clearly can't play Rapalus and Chris Webb together. We knew that. Everyone knew that coming into the season. Um, we, we shouldn't. Like One thing I disagreed with him with the question I asked during the radio show, the big thing that stood out to me was him saying that when we bring Vote in, we see him as a, as a scoring punch and we can run the offense through him. And I just think he's – I don't think he's seeing Chris Vote for what he is, which is – that second half against Wichita is what Chris Vogt needs to do when he plays. Crash the offensive boards. That's how you're going to get your points. We're not running any offense through you. This doesn't run through you at all. Your job is to play defense, figure out a way to grab a defensive rebound, and when on offense, when the shot goes up, crash the boards and grab an offensive board, get a putback. That's it. We're not running anything else through you. So him saying that he still thinks he can, bit of a red flag. I, I, I just don't, I don't see what he's seeing, but again, yeah, got to give him a chance to for this to play out a little bit. Well, and back to kind of like what maybe we aren't seeing behind closed doors because there was a lot of that. And if there is one thing that I was thankful I learned as a manager, it was what, what people saw on the floor and then people would text me, call me, you know, family members <laughs> telling me Cronin's this, Cronin's that. You guys, why'd you do this? I'm like, you don't know 
90% of the backstory, right? You don't know why we're doing this. Uh, anybody that's coach buddy basketball all of a sudden thinks they're, they're a coach in Cincinnati, right. And can critique. So there could be things that are happening behind the scenes with Chris vote where he's a leader and he's doing good things for the culture of the program. At least I hope that's the case. And Brandon's trying to reward him for that. But I do agree with you, Coomer, when he said and the answer to your question, like, I think he said something like we have a heavy package to go to Chris vote when he's in the game. Yeah. I about fell out of my chair because uh, I just, I, I can't see where Brandon thinks that, you know, Chris vote is the next Larry bird, right? Like, what is he saying? Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, he's, he's definitely seen uh, a better productive offensive option than any fan does, you know, coming into the season, he he said that this offense and the at the end of games, we're running this thing through through Keith Williams and we're running this thing through Chris Vote. So that was it's very intentional. It's a conscious decision. Um, he must be he's you you imagine he's seeing something in practice. Um, if he is seeing something in practice too, something to keep in mind for people like me who prefer to have Mamadou Diarra's skill set on the court. You know, switchy, rangy. Is he having a good season? No, but he he's a better defender than Chris Vote, and I prefer that. Uh, as in, from a backup center perspective, one thing to keep in mind is that Mamadou Diara did opt out of the season and we don't know the details as to why, but he then op- opted back in and he did it simultaneous with Rapolis leaving the team, which makes it makes you wonder whether it was very much a minutes played decision. And so I imagine it's hard for the coach to favor the guy who left the team and then rejoined only once he was guaranteed to get more minutes versus Chris Vogt, you know, who he recruited to NKU. So just also something to keep in mind. I mean, Hummer, I'm waiting for your objection, you know, testifying, right? Like, (laughs) Coomer's asking his own questions and answering them at the same time. (laughs) I mean, I think Coomer and I have pretty much the same opinion when it comes to, you know, with, with, I think, with Chris Vogt and what we're seeing on the court. Um, I think maybe also what we're not seeing behind, and this is just pure conjecture because, once again, we don't know. It's this team is soft on defense. So Chris Vogt probably looks like a monster in practice against this defense. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, solid point. Hey, I know we've, we've been on here for a while. I don't know if there's anything you specifically want to hit. I, there was something I wanted to ask you, Corey, if we're going to completely go off topic here. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up with one other thing here. Okay, Cause I did look up how many active uh, college coaches have won national championships. Do you guys have a guess in college basketball? Yeah. Uh, if, if football is six, I'm going to say college basketball is around 10. I was gonna Hummer? Say, I was going to say eight. Man, split the difference. Now, part of this, I, I don't know if Tubby Smith still has a job somewhere. I'd have to look that up. But as of last year, this article was written. There were nine active coaches with national championships, Tubby being one of them. But you got to remember, um, right, so like, Tubby Smith won in 98, Tom Izzo won in 2000, Jim Calhoun won in 2003. So three of the three of the nine active coaches that have won national championships, now two of them, it's been two decades. Another one's almost been two decades since they won. So I just, part of my frustration is I think people think good coaches grow on trees and they don't, right? The, the top tier coaches, they're hard to come by. And sometimes um, the grass isn't always greener. 
and we'll find out if it is greener. You know, we're, we're definitely going to find out right now. It, it doesn't feel greener, but I don't, we can't make that definitive call. Um, look in college basketball, you don't measure a coach's success purely on national championships. You don't, I, I agree um, with that. Like we, we all, we, I revere Bob Huggins as a coach and, and his, he's unquestionably going to be a hall of famer one day and he doesn't have a national championship. Uh, but the fact is you do expect better than that. You know, you expect better tournament performances than, you know, especially a 22 point collapse, but then coming out after the game and making, you know, a whirlwind of excuses. It's not what we want to hear. It's not what anybody wants. But this is one of my favorite discussion points with UC fans, because like, I think, I don't think Huggins went to a sweet 16 since 96. I think his last six or seven years as a, as a coach at UC, he didn't go to a sweet 16. He didn't get past the first and second round. He blew a 20-something point lead in the second half with the number one overall team. And Steve Logan, he, they blew the lead to the Bruins. He, he had more equity, my dude. He had more <laughs> equity built up. He had so, a Final Four, got an Elite Eight. He's got, you know, teams that were number one in the country, nationally he, I relevant. Agree with he, that. Had rooting, he had recruiting classes that were, were highly ranked. He had a, he mean, had a national I, championship taken away from him. By, I don't uh, disagree with a any broken of that. leg. Stolen. I, but, it was stolen. A stolen championship. <laughs> Mateen Cleaves, give it back. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. You know, if if we're gonna talk about losing in the first and second round, I don't think that you can say, well, Huggins' first and second round losses because everybody was growing tired of that. I remember that UC fans were growing tired of Huggins losing in the first and second round. It's just we're twenty years removed. From I know, it now, I know so. we did. I actually, I vividly remember having that feeling fatigued about what the hell is going on in the tournament. You know, my hot take would be that Huggins being forced out of UC was good for his career. It re-energized him. It got a chip on his shoulder, and he was a better coach for it later down the road. That's it's unfounded. I have no idea if that is really how he felt, but he was slipping. Good. He was slipping late in his, in his career with UC. It wasn't the same type of, you know, greatness that we were accustomed to, uh, but it sounds good. You know, he, get, he gets pushed out and he's hungrier and, and, and ready to get Michael Beasley a, a year later. I'm actually glad you brought that up, though, with the fatigue with Huggins and in, in losing in the first round, because I actually think that that's where Cronin actually got kind of the raw end of the deal is because we were so fatigued by that. And we saw the same thing start to happen with Cronin where we weren't getting past that first round, that first weekend, and it just carried on. And where Coomer said, Huggins did have a Final Four under his belt. He did have an Elite Eight. So he, he had a little more stock equity in there where, you know, that's where I think Cronin has got the raw end of the deal from the perception right off the get-go. Because we Cronin. wanted to see success immediately. We wanted to see it right away. And it took him basically six years because, like you said, the program was left destroyed. You know, it wasn't just the cobwebs in the basement. Uh, you know, Connor Barwin, uh, love him to death. He was, a, he, was, cobwebs, he, was a, he was a centerpiece on the, one of those teams. <laughs> right, absolutely. And and there, and then the hard part too. Again, with part of the rebuilding process, then all of a sudden you get the Big East ripped away from you. You're recruiting to a bullshit gym, you know, and and it just was for me. I would have loved to have seen what Cronin could have done with another two to three years now that he had gotten the arena built, 
he had a chance every time that we were getting some momentum with the program, we had a curveball, right? Like, you know, even that year that with Gary Clark senior year, right now, all of a sudden we're playing over an NKU and that's frustrating. It, it just, nothing was lining up to where it's like, we're playing with a full deck of cards. It always felt like we were, and, and that could be sour milk, right? Because it, I'm sure there's lots of programs I can say that, but I just would have liked to have seen what Cronin could have done with a couple more years recruiting to that arena with a little bit of stability in the program and, and changes that he had gone through. I agree. He, that, he, that. he was a Nevada win away from being absolutely worshipped in Cincinnati. I truly believe that. I truly believe that was the flashpoint that if that game is goes differently, if it if a couple shots drop and, and Nevada doesn't get as hot as they did, I think that he, he walks away from that game being absolutely beloved in Cincinnati. But, oh, because alas. it was set up for him to, to, in theory, go to the Final Four, which was which was all the years of him bitching about the draw in the tournament, which I think rightfully um, he had a, some valid points. Um, it, it finally lined up, and then, you know, we should have uh, our way again. Uh, Talk uh, about the lineup. Know. So we were all watching this. Cam, our friend Cam Paps, he's he's engaged. We have a bachelor bachelor party set in Nashville. We're all sitting. Oh around, man, we're all doing the math. We're like, holy yeah. shit! If we get placed with with Virginia, we're we're playing in Nashville. And I think we're all like somehow mass FaceTiming, trying to buy tickets immediately to the game. Don't care what the price is. Probably overpaid. Didn't matter. Uh, it was just the stars were aligned. And while we're watching that game in the airport, I'm sitting there with Mr. Papp and some guys from California, a UCLA fan among them as well. And they look at us and they go, why are your guys, why is your butthole so tight? You guys are up by 22. And I'm just quoting them. That's what they said. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we go, you don't understand. It's Cincinnati sports. Sure enough, like getting on the airplane, I had to actually, the air, I got in the airplane and there was still like three minutes left in the game lost cell phone service, did not find out the result of the game until two hours later when my plane landed in Chicago. Oh, I got geez, off the so... plane like, fuck. Yeah, I was gonna, and then you got arrested for causing a scene on an airplane. And you <laughs> were added to your... no-fly list. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Coomer, and then we'll shift gears. If the Bearcats don't overachieve Makes last year and win the conference. You're calling that last season an, an overachievement? Absolutely. Is Mick Cronin still our head coach? Because we overachieved that year. Yeah, I thought that people overreacted to that Iowa game personally. And I, again, I attributed, I, 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 I thought people reacted to the Iowa game as if the Nevada game just happened. Like it seemed sure. like that. I thought it was just the boiling point. Um, I think you've already explained he, he would be the coach if he was not, if the contract negotiations went differently with bone, if, um, you know, if the, if the shenanigans at UCLA didn't play out the way they did, because UCLA is going to be a really hard job to turn down, no matter what the circumstances we're already seeing it. Like his recruiting had really cooled down with Cincinnati and he's gone to UCLA and he's picking up big time players already. And how hard is it when you're, when you're in Los Angeles and <laughs> And your and your practice arena is used by NBA players on the regular to, to to get games in. I mean, it's it's an ideal situation. So I I don't. It's not surprising he took the job. Um, yeah. I just I You're, just think it, it's hilarious seeing you show up here. <laughs> very aggressive move. 
wearing a UCLA sweatshirt. Like it has to be caught. Someone has to come to UC's defense in this conversation. You know, the best part of this is this showed up today, right? So like I was, I was waiting for this. It hasn't been here for three weeks. I don't know what's going on at fanatics that Amazon can get something to you within an hour and fanatic fanatics. It takes three weeks and in 2021, but uh, I was like, oh, man, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, I'm wearing this tonight for Coomer. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you to relate it to the current day. One question or one story you could maybe tell. This week we heard about, or I guess we heard about it last week. So the Bearcats, five-game lo- losing streak. Uh, team needs to shake things up. And so they set up a wiffle ball court or a wiffle ball field on the practice court. And they break things up with a nice game of wiffle ball. Um coaches apparently win zach harvey's a good wiffle ball player we don't need all the details are there any stories about like th- examples like that where things got monotonous team might have been down a bit and mick cronin wanted to break things up and if so how did you do it what was mick's method for breaking things up oh man um you're gonna make me go deep in the archives here because i can't say that that was necessarily <laughs> like really our speed right like (laughs) our our speed was more from the the rick patino bob huggins school of you guys aren't gonna wear our jerseys you don't deserve your to wear the jersey you don't deserve to wear uh the bearcats name across your chest or the cincinnati name across your chest because of uh you know, what this city represents and what you're supposed to represent to this city. So his, his method was more about uh, we're locking the locker room and they're not allowed to wear their own practice, the, the UC practice gear, which was a pain in the ass for the, for the managers, by the way. Right. Because now we're having to scramble and find other potential gear or they're wearing their own personal gear to practice um, and only have one set. So then it's a whole, nightmare to uh to facilitate they would they would go down to the armory did you guys ever go in the armory yes and and for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what the armory is i mean it is the old old basketball arena where the big o played that is you know uc can't do anything with it because there's so much asbestos in there that that it would cost so much to renovate um they actually, quick sidebar, when Brian Kelly was here, they looked into what it would cost to renovate that into the indoor practice facility for football. But the the locker rooms down there were disgusting. And uh, that was more their method, right? Build, build some uh, character, man. Yeah. I can't <laughs> say that um, – <laughs> I can't say that I ever – remember us going the other direction of hey we're going to break things up and and make this fun you know is more how can we build character and grit and you deserve to to come back into your locker room and have the the nice things in the program again that could be generational like that could be something like it's harder to take it in that direction in 2021 than it is in 20 2007 maybe i'm wrong yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe Vic Cronin just doesn't like having fun and breaking things up. That's I'm just, just I'm just picturing him going, you turn the I ball remember. over, you run a mile. <laughs> no, I remember his speeches about locking the locker room, obviously after the Xavier scuffle. 
uh, you know, these guys won't wear those jerseys again uh, yeah. until they prove, you know, that, that they realize what kind of privilege this is. So, yeah, I, Mick always laid it on thick with that kind of stuff. It always felt a bit performative. I never felt yeah. that authentic coming from Mick, but I could be yeah. wrong. Yeah, the the I physically removed some of their jerseys That's from them after the the Xavier that that uh, uh, came on a little heavy, but <laughs> but I can attest to it was more about trying to build that grit and culture um, that that we're used to seeing as fans that are that we're going to be the toughest team on the court, right? We might not be the the most athletic, we might not be the best shooters we but we will be the toughest we will out rebound you we will out hustle you he preached that about and, and he's preaching it actually at ucla now too which is you can't control if the ball is going to go in the hoop but you can control hustle and you can control defense right and and that's why i i think he will have success out at ucla because um and and a lot of people disagree with me on this but the pack 12 is it's a joke of a conference really from a defensive standpoint. So if he can get some players in there that are, are more offensively gifted than what he could get at UC and he can instill a little toughness that they're going to out rebound and, and play a little more defense. It's, it's not rocket science. No, I agree. His level of success will have to be greater than it was at Cincinnati though, to be quote unquote successful at UCLA. Like, I don't think oh, they're, gonna, yeah. they're not going to tolerate the same. I mean, just as we got fed up with the tournament stuff, the same would be said if, if that happens at UCLA. So it's really all going to, his make or break is going to be March for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, well, that's it for me, boys. You got anything else you wanted to get off your chest, Corey? I love this conversation. That was fantastic. No, I appreciate you guys having me back. I've, I've got a couple lists here of, of some additional thoughts for that we'll save for next time. Um, um, one, a little homework. Have you ever heard uh, the name? This is pretty common in, in the college basketball uh, circles, but a boy, a ball, and a dream, right? His name is Tom J. Tutti Ciricioni. You ever heard this name? I don't think so. The, the Ciricioni part sounded familiar. So look this up. All right. He's got a Facebook page, Toody, T-O-O-D-Y. All right. You can find him on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You might be able to find a few articles. I've got some fantastic stories about uh, the greatest shooting coach of all time, Toody. All right. That's the homework. Send me send me a text with his name, because what I'll do is I'll, I'll make that homework for the people listening as well, so that, that they're good. they're in the know on on what we're talking about next time. But Corey, it's been a pleasure, sir. UCLA's number one fan, Corey Sims, <laughs> former manager for the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team. Thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Sports Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I promise I'll be back in the red and black next time. <laughs> Appreciate it, sir. Yeah, we need to get you. We need to get you back there. <laughs>